West Bowles. Good morning. Well, I've got to tell you about a gas station. And it's a gas station in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Utah, that actually holds a very, very, very special place in my heart. All right, let me explain. Ryan Long, our minister of congregational care here at the church, he used to organize these road trips. And many of us who were youth leaders together and in the college group together, we would go on these road trips at the end of the summer. And so 16 years ago, um, he organized one to Orange County, California. And the, the price of these trips was like 200 bucks. I mean, we might as well have like stayed in a tent on the beach. And so what would happen is we would meet here on a Sunday night, and we all met on a Sunday night. And most people, when they would pay for these trips, they'd, they'd bring cash or they'd bring a check. But not one guy, not one of our friends, a guy named Tony Lapina. Okay, many of you know his dad here, Clint, at the church. But Tony didn't bring, he, we all showed up this Sunday night, Tony didn't bring cash. Tony did not bring a check. Tony brought change. $200 in change. And, and if you do the math, if, if that was all in quarters, that would be 800 quarters. But Tony, Tony pulled up and he got out of his car. And he pulled out two extra strength, heavy-duty Ziploc bags full of quarters and dimes and nickels and pennies and arcade tokens and Canadian dollars and safety pins and pocket lint. And, and Ryan, who, who used to collect them, he'd hold on to the money for these trips. He saw this coming. He's like, uh, you know what? Kara is actually going to hold on to the money this year. And uh, Kara at that time was my girlfriend. And I, um, I remember th- there's this other thing you got to know about Tony Lapina. If you've ever seen The Simpsons, maybe you are familiar with this character Nelson on The Simpsons. And whenever Nelson played a joke on somebody, he had this laugh that I just cannot do justice to. But Tony had this laugh down perfectly. It was kind of like, ha ha. And so Tony walks up to the table that Kara's sitting at, drops these bags of change, and goes, ha ha, walks off. Well, we're driving that night, and I had fallen asleep in one of the back seats of the van, and I could feel us slowing down, and as I woke up, I realized we were turning into this gas station in the middle of nowhere in Utah. And so it was about one in the morning, everybody went in, used the restroom, grabbed a snack, and it came time to pay for the gas. And Kara, the keeper of the money, was nowhere to be found until a few seconds later, she walked through the door, smiling from ear to ear, with a bag of change to pay for the gas. And she put the bag of change on the counter, and the clerk's face is just like, he did not just do this to me. And Tony's standing right there, and he goes, ah, And I still cannot repeat what that gas station clerk called us in that moment, because we're in church, and that language would not be appropriate right now. But I'll never forget what Kara said as we walked out of the gas station. She said, now I can enjoy this trip, because I don't have to carry that around anymore. Doesn't it feel good to unload burdens? Because burdens do something to us, kind of like we talked about trouble last week. Burdens have a way of, if they affect one area of our life, one situation in life, one relationship in life, they actually, they find a way to bleed into and permeate all these other areas of our lives, don't they? I mean, we've all had that moment where something happened at work and we brought it home and it affected home. Something happened at home, you brought it to work. Something happened in the classroom, and, it, and you brought it on the playing field. Or something happened on the playing field, and you brought it into the classroom. And we wear our burdens everywhere we go. 
and it affects every area and it affects all these situations, but it also affects our relationships. And I'd argue there's no relationship that our burdens that we wear around that gets affected more than our relationship with God. And I tell you that because we're coming down to the last couple weeks of this series, Up, that we're going through. And the whole premise of Up is to focus on our relationship with God. And there's this episode, we mentioned this last week, we mentioned it every week, where this man named Moses gets invited to go up the mountain and meet God. And there he experiences God and he hears from God and he even, he even experiences rest as a result of being with God. And I look around at us, and, and, I, and as I think through this room, I can see stories, and I can think of conversations. But even if I've never had that conversation with you, I get the sense that many of us want to go up the mountain. And we want to experience God, and we want that rest that comes from being with God. But a lot of times, you know what we do? We go, God, I'll, I'll be up in a minute, but I've, I've got this issue going on. I've got these troubles going on. I've got this burden I'm carrying around. Let me just take care of that and then I'll be up the mountain because it's hard to climb a mountain when the storms of life are swirling, isn't it? And it's hard to climb a mountain when we're burdened and we're wearing the weight of our burdens, isn't it? And then for others in this room, it may be the presence of trouble and burdens that that may be all the evidence you need to reinforce this notion that you've got, that maybe God just isn't there. Or maybe he just doesn't care. But regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, I think we've all made this assumption, and we hit on this last week, that if I could just avoid trouble, if I could just, if I could just get around it, then I'd find relief, and I'd find peace, and I'd find rest. But we, we touched on this idea last week as well, that when you look through Scripture, Jesus wants to give us rest in the trouble, not instead of it. Jesus, over and over and over, if you look at Scripture, our Heavenly Father is constantly there saying, I am there with you in the trouble, not instead of it. So we ask this question, how? How do I and how do you, how do we all find rest when trouble is our reality? How do you find rest when trouble is your reality? And I know I teased you with it last week, but we're finally going to answer it this week. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11. And as we look at Matthew chapter 11, I was looking at it, and as I walked through it, I realized Jesus, he's talking to this crowd of people, many of whom had varying degrees of relationship with him. And as he talked to them about the way they were walking through life, I realized, oh my goodness, even though their situation is something I've never walked through, it looks totally different than mine, Jesus made some observations, and, and he gives some insights about why they are going through what they're going through and, and what that is causing in their lives. And I thought, oh my goodness, I, I missed that. I missed it, but I recognize it. I'm so familiar with each of these observations. And then he lands on an answer that we've probably heard before. But when he lands at that answer, you know what I thought when I finally went through this? I just went, I miss that. I miss that probably every day, multiple times. I miss it over and over and over. Let me show you what I mean, all right? So your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 11. If not, it'll be up on screen. But in Matthew chapter 10, right before this is taking place, Jesus has instructed his disciples. He said, I'm going to send you out, and I'm sending you to some towns that you're going to minister in. You're going to go spread word about what is here now. And, and so he says, some towns are going to accept you. And some towns are going to reject you, but, but I'm with you. 
And then, verse 1 of Matthew 11 starts like this. After Jesus had, had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Now, this is so interesting to me because he's just equipped his disciples to go do this. But as we're about to find out, this is a lesson that only Jesus can teach them and us. And as, as he gets going, a question arises from really a very unlikely place. Look at verse 2. When John, this is John the Baptist, John who had come before Jesus and said, he's coming. When John heard in prison, because John had spoken out against Herod, the ruling authority at the time, and Herod didn't like what John had said. He had called him out, and so he put John in prison. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him. Now, the thing you got to know about John the Baptist is this is Jesus' cousin. And as Jesus' cousin, he's thinking, well, we've got this family connection. Like, I, I might, be, might be used for some special tasks. And he had been used for, for some very special tasks. But now, he's sitting in prison. And all he sees are prison walls. So he asks what is really a very odd question for John the Baptist. Look at this. He says, are you the one who was to come? Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And his disciples, who were going to deliver this question to Jesus, had to be thinking, wait, what do you mean? You just told us he's the one. You've been proclaiming over and over and over. You've been pointing Jesus out and saying, see that guy? That's the Savior of the world. That's the Messiah. And now, now you're going to question this? Now you're going to doubt this? Let me ask you something. Have you ever had a relative who works like in a, in a uh, restaurant or in retail? And maybe you've gone to visit them at that store. And, and a lot of stores have a friends and family discount, right? And maybe you've benefited from that. And that's nice. It kind of makes you go, I'm going to go back. In fact, when are you working? Because I'm going to come in every single time you're working. And John's sitting here in prison. He's going, where is the friends and family discount? I mean, this is Jesus cousin and Jesus Jesus reply to him is I think so instructive for us because we've had this situation haven't we maybe you haven't sat in an actual prison cell maybe you have but we've all had moments where we look around at life and all we see are walls prison walls listen to Jesus response Jesus replied verse 4 go back and report to John what you hear and see. Because John can't hear. And John can't see what he's about. The message he's about to get. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus would say, look, the very thing that you proclaimed was coming, John, it is happening. And Jesus is sending his encouragement to him. And I look at this and I think, man, this is, this is exactly what I have needed. In those moments in life where all I see are walls, a lot of times what I've needed are a different perspective. To get outside of what I'm seeing every single day. And I look around at us and I think, man, maybe that means we, we maybe start serving in a ministry here in the church or one in the area. Maybe it's getting out of Littleton and going on a trip, a mission trip, just to get a different perspective 
And what you will find out is that God is still very much at work. And this is what Jesus was saying to John. And then Jesus makes this statement that I think is such an incredible insight about us and the way we walk through life. Look at this, verse 6. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And here Jesus is making an observation, not just about John, but about us. That oftentimes we get focused on what's in the way or what's not going our way, right? We get very focused on the walls that come up or they get put down around us, don't we? In fact, for a class, I had to take this, you've heard of maybe strengths finders? And I had to take this, this test one time. And so one of the strengths that came back, they said, Nathan, you are what we call a focuser. I was like, okay, that sounds, that sounds good. What's that mean? And he said, well, so imagine you're going through a maze and somebody drops a wall down in front of you. You, you instead of looking left and right and finding another option, you are just going to yell and scream at the wall and try to go through it. I was like, this is strengths finders, right? Because this isn't really feeling like it. And I just thought, we all have a little bit of focuser in us. That when a wall comes up, when life puts a wall there, we often get stopped and we often get so focused on that that we lose our perspective and wonder, God, are you still there? Are you still doing anything? Well, Jesus isn't done yet. Having made this observation about John's situation, he now turns to the crowd and he continues to talk about John, but he's going to make an observation about them. Look at verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And whenever you see the crowd, pay attention. Because the crowd, you have to understand the times they lived in. The crowd was often exposed to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And the teachers of the law, very often, they felt that if everyone was just obedient enough, if everybody could just live up to the law, well, then they'd find favor with God. And they could maybe even expedite and speed up his return. And so they walked around and they said, you're not doing it right. And you're not doing it right. And you're not living life right. And you're not living life right. And they would hold people down under their thumb. And they would burden people. Look at what he, look at what he says. He throws a question out to the crowd. He says, what did you go out into the desert to see? He's referring to John because John the Baptist was often in the desert. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? He's saying, look, did did you expect to see a man who reacted the way you think he should react? Who was affected the way you think he should be affected by this life? And then he throws another question at him. He says, "If, if you didn't go out to see that, if not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? If you know anything about John the Baptist, he did not dress in fine clothing. And he said, no, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. In other words, did you go out expecting to see somebody who was affected the way you think they should be affected by life? Did you go out expecting to see somebody who looks the way you think they should look? He says, no, that's not what you'd find. And then he says, then what did you go out to see? A prophet? He says, yes. John the Baptist was a prophet. John the Baptist came proclaiming Jesus. And he said, but you saw more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. He's saying, look, 
Somebody made you guys feel, talking to the crowd, somebody made you guys feel like a person who's being used by God has to react a certain way, they have to look a certain way. And Jesus is saying, but John the Baptist did things God's way, and he prepared God's way. And then, verse 16, he goes, to what can I compare this generation? And he's getting at something. He's making an observation about them. A couple sentences later. For John came, John came, neither eating nor drinking. And you saw that and you thought, he has a demon. This can't be God's way. He has a demon. And then God himself showed up. Verse 19, the son of man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So a man who does things God's way shows up. And you think, no, that's not it. And then God himself shows up, and you look at his ways, and you go, no, that's not it. And then Jesus followed up with this statement. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. He's saying, look, you give this time, enough time goes by, and you will see. You will see that this was God's way. John did things God's way. And I think the second observation that he's making here about them and about us is we often think we know the way, don't we? We get focused on what's in the way, and we often think we know the way. In fact, Starbucks recently found this out. Starbucks, uh, they started getting some complaints about their drinks. And so what they did is they, they told all their baristas, they got a company-wide message out. They said, look, you're only going to make two drinks at a time now. You're only going to make two drinks at a time, and when you steam the milk, instead of steaming an entire gallon, only steam enough milk for one drink at a time. So Starbucks implements these changes. And a couple weeks go by, and what do you think they started getting complaints about? It's too slow. It's too slow. See, first the quality wasn't good enough, and now it wasn't coming fast enough. Because we think we know the way. I mean, I think about that, and I just go, oh, poor Starbucks. Poor Starbucks. I mean, they're getting yanked around by people who think they know the way. I just thought, I hope, Starbucks, I hope you make it, you know? I, I hope you make it from small coffee shop to the big corporate behemoth you dream of being one day. Maybe we can do a Power of One donation here at the church for them, all right? We get focused on what's in the way. We think we know the way, and now Jesus. Now Jesus is going to turn up the heat a little bit more because there's one more insight coming about the way we walk through this life. Verse 20. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not, and he uses this word that is so scary to us. And many of us have a bad history with this word because maybe you've been yelled at with this word because they did not repent. And that word repent, what it really means is to change one's mind and change one's way. But we, we often use it in a very scary way. And it's not that it's an easy thing to do. It's very difficult, but he, he looked at these cities that he had spent so much time in. He had performed miracles in, and he calls them out by name because he had had so much compassion in these cities. And he said, you've seen the miracles of God. You've seen God's work, and yet you stuck to your ways. And this really is the third observation about us. I was thinking about it. I went, man, how many times have I seen the work of God in, in my life and around my life? And yet, I stayed put. I stayed in my ways. We get focused on what's in the way. We think we know the way. And we get very set in our way. 
in our ways, don't we? And these are the ways that we often will walk through life. We walk through life, and Jesus, what he's about to reveal, is that when you walk through life like this, you know what you do? You create burdens. You create burdens, and you walk around with them, and you carry them everywhere you go. And look what he says. Look what he says about them. Verse 25. At that time, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. Isn't that interesting? As we get older, don't we take on each of those things? We get focused on what's in the way. We think we know the way. We get set in our ways. He says, but Father, you've hidden it from those who think they know and revealed it, look at this, and revealed it to little children. And I think there's a huge insight we've got to see right here. That our ways can easily blind us to God's way. Our ways can easily blind us to God's way. I, uh, in just a minute, we're going to put this image on the screen. Okay, if you know the answer, I'm going to ask you not to yell it out. You'll have a chance to, to show off in a minute here. Okay? When I want to put this image on screen, I want you to look at it. And I just want to see if you see anything. Again, don't yell it out, but go ahead. All right, let's do this. Raise your hand if you see something. Joe does. He was in first service. I'm just kidding. All right, I'll give you like five more seconds. All right, here's what this is. Take a look. It's a cow. It's a cow. And I remember the first time I saw that, I must have stared at it for 10 minutes. Here, let's go back to it again. Now you see it? Yeah, now it's very clear, isn't it? And this is what Jesus is getting at. He's saying, look, you guys don't see this because you think you know. You're so focused on what's in the way and thinking you know the way and you're set in your ways that you, you just don't see what your heavenly father is revealing. You know what's interesting about this picture? The guy who came up with this picture was a guy named Samuel Renshaw. And Samuel Renshaw showed this print. This is what I love. Okay, personally, I'm a Michigan Wolverines fan. He had a lab at Ohio State University, Okay. And at Ohio State University, he showed this print to all these adults. And guess what? No adults figured it out. And as a Michigan fan, I just went, that sounds like Ohio State, all right? <laughs> Except I didn't get it either at the beginning, so never mind. But every single child that Renshaw ever showed this print to got it within five seconds. And one of the conclusions he got from his study is that children don't have the filters and the barriers and all the other stuff in the way. And Jesus is making a point. Because they don't walk through life the way we walk through life, they get it. Because they're willing to see a new way. They're not blinded by their ways to God's way. And then Jesus, you know, you'd think at this point, he's going to unleash he is just going to let it, let it, just let loose, let the fury fly. Because here his most loyal supporter in prison is doubting him and questioning him. And here the crowd who has followed him and followed him and followed him, he realizes you still don't get it. And then he looks at the cities and he said, I've performed all these works and these miracles and these, these acts. 
and you still won't change your way. And you think he's going to unleash. And yet, look at what he says, verse 28. Come to me. Come to me. John, I know you're in prison, and I know all you see are walls around you, and I know you only see what's in the way. Come to me. To the crowd, I know you think you know the way. I know you think you get it. I know you think you see it. Come to me. To the cities who saw all the miracles, I know you saw a lot of things. But you haven't changed your ways. Just come to me. And what you see is the heart of somebody who's not angry, but who invites. He says, come to me. And it goes on. All you who are weary and burdened. Do you want to know what Jesus sees when he looks at our lives? I think he sees people that are tired and exhausted and drained. And we, we will spend our time proclaiming him like John, and yet we forget to come to him. And we'll spend our time following him, but we'll forget to come to him. And, and we'll spend our time seeing all his works, and we'll forget to come to him. And he ends that verse with, and I will give you rest. That is not the heart of an angry God. That is the heart of a savior. And he says, you don't have to carry it anymore. You don't have to carry it anymore. He keeps going. He says, take my, and he uses this really weird word that I, I got this weird image in my brain when I was younger. Take my yoke. I was like, what? Like, Jesus is talking about breakfast now? I mean, because we think this, right, when we see yoke. And as a kid, I was so confused by this. Or now, you know, if you hang out with teenagers long enough, you, you start to learn their terminology. And many of the teenagers like to talk about somebody who goes to the gym a lot and who has really big muscles. They say, wow, they're so yoked, like this picture. They're so yoked. Which, by the way, John, where did we get this picture of me? Because that was, that, is, that was like Friday, I think. I'm just kidding. No, what Jesus is talking about is this, that a yoke was something that joined two animals together to work in unison. And Jesus says, look, you, you join with me. You take my yoke upon you and look at the implications. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And this is where I think we start to push back internally because I only see what's in the way. I think I know the way or I am set in my ways. And he says, no, just learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I mean, you think, you think Jesus' commands are hard? Some, some are very difficult, if not impossible, and yet, you want to know what's harder? Is to walk around, and to pick up this rock in the middle of a sermon and carry it for five minutes when you could have just set it down. And yet, this is what we do, isn't it? We pick up these burdens and we walk around with them and we walk around with them and they tire us and they exhaust us. And my right arm is going numb right now, but my bicep's going to be huge because of it. No, this is what we do. And I think what Jesus is getting at here is simply this. You, you want to know when you find rest? You, know, you want to know how you find rest in the midst of trouble and burdens? You say, I'm going to give up my way to take up his way. I'm going to give up my way to take up his way. 
And many of you are probably wondering why I'm still holding this rock. And I would ask the same question of all of us. Why are you still holding on to the rock? Because it's draining you. None of us would go to work tomorrow carrying this in our hand. Because people would notice it about you, wouldn't they? You wouldn't go to a social gathering this week with this rock in your hand because people would notice it about you, wouldn't they? And yet, people are noticing it about us when we're tired and we're exhausted and we're drained. And you know what Jesus says? You don't have to carry it. You do not have to carry it. Why not set it down? I'm not mad at you. Even though all you see is what's in the way. I'm not mad at you. I want to invite you. Come to me. And this just triggered a few questions and then we're done. This triggered some questions for me this week as I thought about it. And I think there are questions we've got to consider. First question, how much does my way really weigh? How much does my way really weigh? The pride, the, the selfish ambition, the, the vengeance, the wanting to get people back, the wanting to push myself to the front, how much does it weigh? And you want to know how it's measured? Not in pounds, but in the number of days of our lives that we carry this burden. In the more days of your life, the more percentage of your life that you walk around with this burden, guess what? That's the weight. That's the actual measure of the weight right there. Number two, second question, who else is carrying the weight of my way? Who else is carrying the weight of my way? I think we've got to ask. Because as we mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of times things happen in one area of our life and we bring it elsewhere, don't we? If I'm, if I'm just being transparent, I, I, mean, I love being a pastor in this place. But we get to hear a lot of people's thoughts and opinions and preferences. And we need them. We do need them. But I'd ask for your prayers because I carry them. And guess who else has to carry those? my family. They've, they've had to carry it more than they've, they should at times. And the whole time, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, Jesus, you've been right there. Saying, you don't have to carry this. You don't have to. That's not to make anybody feel bad. Again, we need people's thoughts and opinions. I just need your prayers so that I don't carry it. And Thomas needs your prayers because it's easy to carry it. And the leadership of this church needs prayer so that we don't carry something that God alone is strong enough to carry. Who else is carrying the weight of my way? Third question. Third question. Am I willing to give up my way to take up Christ's way? This is a question of the heart. It's a question of the heart. Am I willing to give up my way to take up Christ's way? You know, we, we try to look for something applicational, something to do. And this is a question that gets answered in the heart. Because those three words, come to me, that's an invitation. It's an invitation that has to be answered with the heart. And that leads us to the fourth question, when? You know, when you get an invitation to a party or in the mail, it's got a date. It's got a time on it. So when? When this week? Will I actually put into practice coming to Jesus? When will I come to him and say, okay, I'm going to give up my way. 
I'm not going to carry the rock around anymore. You want to know how you find rest? We started there last week with Psalm 46. That when trouble comes and the burdens come, instead of getting caught up, I'm going to hold up. And then how you specifically rest in the midst of trouble and burdens. You say, I'm going to give up my way to take up his way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For Matthew chapter 11, for your life on this earth, for your words to a crowd of people that even though we're separated by thousands of years and we think we're nothing like, we find in your word that we are actually exactly like those you spoke to and went to. And instead of our takeaway being that you are upset with us, thank you for the reminder that you don't see sinners in need of repentance and and all the other stuff you could get upset about. You see people who are tired and exhausted and drained. And it's out of that that you speak life into our lives. And so, Lord, give us a divine appointment this week. If, If there's somebody in here who's never, ever interacted with you, who's always thought the presence of burdens and trouble was just a sign you're not there, Lord, give them a spirit to just come to you, not having to fulfill any requirement, but just to say, here I am. I'm here. And Lord, give us eyes to see your ways like little children. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Have a great week.